conscious and unconscious um, patterns of um, having not wanted to be here, having not wanted to be me, being embarrassed about sort of being me, being being sort of ashamed of who I'd been, um, sort of as I was as I was growing up and, and being so closed off. I'd gone through a process of letting that go, um, but I was still holding on to being ashamed of being me, being ashamed of being male. Um, I was sort of still quite shy um, with with myself. I, there were still times where I couldn't look at myself properly. Um, you know, I, I was, it would almost like be like I'd have to still build up the confidence to do that. And mm. it's now 38 to say that I still at times couldn't stand in the mirror and look at myself. Um, you know, they were things that I wouldn't admit that I was still having problems with. They were things that I was helping other people through, not, not things that I was uh, gripping onto myself. Um, and this was a this was a um, was my opportunity was my gift to really start to let that go because um, there would be a physical change. I've got a sort of a lovely four and a half inch scar now. Um, I've got there's all sorts of other sort of physical changes. There's parts of my groin on the left side that I can't feel and may never um, be able to get the feeling back because of how uh, because of the operation and whatever else. But I love myself more today than I've ever done. You got to accentuate the positive. Ah, I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? you feel like that's what you want to do. Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. So great to be with you again. I've got the beautiful Ainsley Threadgold with me today, one of the authors in the book Awakened by Death and also an author in the book called The Transformative Experience of, I'm going to get that wrong, of Near-Death Experiences by Penny Satori and Kelly Walsh. He is Ainsley, let me tell you a bit about Ainsley, has been a, a police officer since 2005 and he currently lives in the UK although having a bit of a shift at the moment in the middle of writing his book which is the full story which he hopes to finish this year next year sometime (laughs) Sometime. in 2015 he met the love of his life which of course if you've read the book or if you've seen some of our shows Krista Gorman who also had an NDE experience and we'll talk about how they met which is actually in the story in the book he talks about how they met and um, during the summer of 2016 Ainsley and Krista shared um, at IONS the IONS conference the International Association for Near-Death Experience shared their stories and his public Facebook page is the same title as the book he is writing which is called Come and Find Me lifetimes of love welcome to the show Ainsley hi (laughs) we've had you on the show before but we've actually never had you on to share your whole experience I mean obviously it's Mm. in the book and um, interestingly enough when you listen to a show it's like having reading a book and watching a movie Mm. you can listen to someone speak but it's quite different to actually reading their story there's something about sitting on a on the couch or in bed with a book and 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 reading someone's story it's really personal i actually Mm. find it quite beautiful but we're going to share some of your story today and and your updates do you want to because you know things have been happening and you've got lots to share with people so i'm excited to 
to hear what you and the carpenter have to say. (laughs) (laughs) So shall we start from the beginning? You were a child and you had this strange um, desire to break your arm. Is that right? Yeah, it was a a fascination that I had. Um, I was 13 and um, I had never broken anything. I'd known people that had broken things in one of else and, and you, you get the, you get things that you um, sort of key into, especially as children, um, you get sort of fascinated with things. And for me, it was a fascination with breaking bones. What would it be like? And yeah. I remember a few times my friends at school and my mum, uh, it was a repeating message of be careful what you wish for. Um, little did I know that um, not that long after that, that I would experience uh, breaking something and um you know, in in a, a huge way, it wasn't just a case of slipping over and um, breaking my arm. Um, it was a case of being run over and being hit at forty miles an hour, and um, having my legs smashed to bits, and and having an experience because of it. So um, there, there was there was my be careful what I wish for. Um, I know it's funny. I actually remember that experience too as a child, thinking, "I wonder what it feels like. I wonder what it feels like." And then a friend of mine, a kid, a friend of my mum's child I fell off the swing and I watched it happen in front of me and I thought okay I don't want to know what it feels like anymore <laughs> so luckily touch so like, okay maybe not okay so it happened to somebody else instead of me which is kind of lucky but um so you were hit by a car at 13 and mm. died mm. and what happened um well I, I mean as, as it says in the book at the time I had no memory Absolutely no memory. I remember being at school that day. I remember that the last lesson that I had was French. I remember going home and uh, that evening um, I was going to help my dad and my brother deliver leaflets in the local area in a village I grew up in. Mm. Um, I remember going out. That was quite mundane. Um, I remember being taken back to my dad's car, my dad driving to the last place that we were going to deliver to, which was on the country lane. I remember the name of the country lane and then that was it until I woke up in hospital um, about sort of midnight, which was about seven or eight hours later. Um, the only thing that really struck me was uh, whilst I was in hospital, um, one of the things that uh, I'd, I'd treasured for my 13th birthday that year was the, a watch that I'd been bought and it was the first watch that I'd sort of owned and I was very proud of it. Um, and that got smashed during the accident. So my parents bought me um, the same watch and I put the watch on, and, and whilst I was in the hospital, the watch stopped. Um, I had another one bought for me, and that stopped. And then successively, sort of every watch I had from that point, at some point within about a month, would break or stop or fall off or, or something. Um, and then later on um, in my teenage years into my 20s and whatever else, I found that um, things like mobile signal and, and radio signals would be quite sort of poor around me. Um, I still have problems with mobile phones now. Sometimes I'll have it in my pocket and it, it'll just go dead. Um, I'll put it on the side away from me and then the signal will come back. Um, it's sort of silly little things like that. But that, that they were the only things that um, I realized at the time that was different. So I had no memory of what had gone on, which yeah. bugged me. It was just like a big black hole. And then I had these strange little things with the not being able to wear a watch anymore um, for very long and... and you know, then CD skipping and radio signals going and, and whatever else. And it wouldn't happen, it wouldn't happen to the point of distraction. Um, but I think the saving grace was back in the early 90s, uh, technology was just starting to sort of really 
uh, shoot forward. So we weren't exclusively using computers. We weren't exclusively using mobile phones. Um, had, had I lived maybe 10 years later, then those initial things probably would have been more pronounced because there would have been more technology for me to uh, break. <laughs> Funny, isn't it? But, yeah. you know, a lot of NDEs say that the whole time thing, electronic thing, you know, I, I had someone, I was emailing someone recently and we were talking about her coming on the show and she's saying, you know, I can't do computers because I'm a triple NDE. And I'm like, oh, God, just ask your guides to sort it out because, yeah, you yeah. hold a different frequency, but, you know, your guides know how to adjust adjust the frequency so that yeah. um, you can manage to do what we're doing now because uh, she said, no, I can't do it because I hold this crazy frequency. But yeah, um, there's, there's some healing surrounding that. I, um, there's a, a guy um, out in Florida, a guy called Mark Youngblood, and he does uh, quantum healing. Um, and he's very he's very interested in uh, people who've had near death or spiritually awakening uh, experiences. And yeah. what he what he has found from uh, being in the in the ether and the and the energies there is that people who have these experiences get put back, and sometimes they get broken. So there's fractures, and it's the fractures that cause the disturbances. So it's almost like the disturbances are saying there's something not quite right. So it's not the fact that we're more highly tuned. Um, and we're, we're, we're disturbing these things. It's the fact that the, the, we're highly tuned, but we're highly tuned in a body that needs to be more aligned. Like with everything else, like with if you go to um, have acupuncture, the acupuncturist will deal with your, your energy meridians and, and start to realign those by using the needles. Someone who deals with um, Reiki will uh, realign your energies in relation to your chakras. Now, if they're out of balance, if they're turning the wrong way or, or whatever else, then you will have uh, physical outpourings. Um, I think the message from, from him is that uh, when we have these experiences, if we're, if we're sort of like more gets put back, it's almost like putting too much water in a water balloon. Something's going to give and split and, uh, and whatever else. And, and what happens after that is that uh, it's a telltale sign that something needs to be realigned. Um, and once the realignment happens, then we, it tends to be that there's more of a, a conscious uh, seeing that these things don't happen so often yeah um, when you came back into your body as a child you had a, quite a bit of amnesia when you first woke up didn't you mm. yeah do you think that you're okay well we'll talk about that so so you didn't remember for 21 years mm. and then what happened to make you start <coughs> you know start to remember what what was happening uh, at that time in my life, um, I was probably physically in the worst shape I'd been in for a long time. I was, I was spiritually in, in the wrong shape. I was um, sort of emotionally in, in a really bad place. I was very closed off. I was coming to the end of a, um, a long-term relationship, uh, which we basically just kept lying to ourselves and, and trying to sort of keep going because we didn't know anything else. Um, and that uh, ended up um, being... That I ended up with sciatica down my left leg. Now it was the left leg that I had um, broken when I was right. run over, and the sciatica affected uh, below my knee, um, and I couldn't feel below my knee. I could still move my leg, but I just couldn't feel it. Mm. And there was no power there. There was no power in the calf, and that would misfire and cramp and uh, all sorts. And the thing for me was, I, I immediately found it interesting that that was the same area that was affected when I when I broke my leg. Right. So when I went to see um, 
my uh, chiropractor and hoping that he would put me back in line and um, that would release the, the that would release the pressure on the the nerves. I spoke to him uh, and I sort of uh, started to talk about the correlation between my accident and and this happening because I was interested to see whether there was anything physiologically that was um, that meant that that leg was uh, more susceptible. Right. And then I started to talk about the not being able to wear a watch and not having a memory and whatever. And he said, sounds like you've had an NDE, but you just don't remember it. I'm like, God what? bless that chiropractor. I tell you what, people put you, you know, they're put in your path when you need them, don't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. a bit of a bit of a wake up call by the body happens to uh, happening to my brother right now. You know, health mm. crisis, and someone saying, "Wake up, wake up!" I've had so many conversations with uh, channels and mediums and amazing, you know, spiritual beings that have ha been woken up through the pain in their body or some sort of mm. health crisis. And because uh, yeah, it's the universe going, it will get it will get louder, it will get harder. Yeah, well, yeah, we just—it's just those thoughts of ours, those those um, conditioned, limiting thoughts that just keep us on this treadmill of struggle and strive and and you know. Oh, anyway, um, okay, so God bless him. And then and then you went and had some hypnosis because you thought, oh, this might be right, and um, you had some hypnosis sessions, and that it all started to be revealed. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, um, I'd done some research into uh, near death and, and whether there was any associations in the in the UK. There was one related to the book that I was given um, by Penny Satori, which was that where the link started to happen. Yeah. Um, followed with me meeting Krista in the end. Um, I wrote to her uh, website. And whilst I was waiting for an answer, I was like, what else can I do to possibly uh, see if I can access these memories? Because I'd, I'd read her book. And when I was reading other people's experiences, their after effects sounded very similar to me. And it was like, it was the first time that I was almost looking at my own experience saying, well, that sounds like me and that sounds like me and I do that and I feel that. Um, but I still didn't have the memory. Um, and the best way I could figure to access those uh, locked away memories was perhaps to use hypnotherapy, hypnosis. Um, so I sort of, you know, I'm just thinking, I've said this so many times on the show, I've never had an NDE, not that I know of. I mean, I think we die every night, you know, and we're reborn again yeah. every morning. But I've not had one like people have had them talk about. Um, and uh, and yet I have all those symptoms, never been able to wear a watch, you know, all that sort of stuff. So mm. I couldn't, wouldn't call them symptoms. I would call them, I don't know what you call them, uh, abilities, frequencies, whatever and yeah. uh, can talk to the spirit guides and all that sort of stuff. But I, I have to say I sort of sought that out when I was in my 30s. I wanted to expand that and did. Um, but I'm just sitting here thinking, listening to you, and maybe I did when I was a baby and I just have no memory of it, you know, maybe mm. something happens. Yeah, I mean, um, part of, part of the, the remembering of my experience led me to uh, understanding that um, to be put back in my body, uh, there had to be some sort of an overwrite. So I couldn't go back into the, the shell that, that was existing. This is something I want to talk to you about. So let's just tell people what happened. So you got hit by the car as what your memories showed you. And when you left your body, what happened? Like when you were hit by the car, what happened? Do you remember that? Or did you? I mean, my, my sort of uh, hip, hypnosis memories of it were um, more to do with uh, being outside of my body and yeah. the, um, what I was shown whilst I was whilst I was upstairs, as it were, um, <laughs> yeah. and it was 
it was being um, sort of uh, felt to me that the, the body that I'd left uh, was dead and it was broken and I couldn't return to that to, to do um, what it was that I was, I'd pre-chosen to do here. So part, that, that part of it would have to be uh, sort of overwritten uh, is the best way I can describe it. So the body I was put back in was still broken, but it was broken enough to be able to heal and uh, for me to do all the things that I did in that 21 years, but also all the things that I'm, I'm now doing. This uh, is something that uh, it's a little bit confusing. So, yes, you say in, in your chapter that the child's body was dead, like um, that you met the carpenter and he said, he told you that the body that you'd left was dead and broken and that he'd have to give you a new body. How did that work? How did, how did that work? It's almost like the um, if you think about editing uh, anything, so you're going to edit this, there's going to be bits of it that you'll splice out and then add together. So there's, oh, well, there's five minutes there that I don't need, but I want this bit and I want this bit. So what you do is you cut the five minutes out and you go, doop, and you put them back. So what you've then got is you've got a new reel. And it was almost like um, for, me to, for me to go back, obviously one, one part of it was the choosing, but the other part was to, for me to be put back in a body that I could uh, exist in. And for that little bit of time where uh, I, where the body was dead had to be sort of overwritten. So, um, okay. So he's saying that he changed your timeline. Hmm. He basically changed your timeline, which you can do from that perspective. I've had many conversations with people that have talked about this. Yeah. Um, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I remember reading that part in the book and thinking, so how did he do that? Like, did he just, like how did he give you a new body? Yeah. Yeah, it's the it's the sort of the the, the overwrite, and that, I think the the overwrite sort of fits best for for how I picture it when I'm sort of in my conscious body. And I've I've read about it. Uh, Neil Donald Walsh um, comments on uh, it a couple of times in his books where um, people uh, have had what they uh, refer to as near misses. Um, and some of them being quite profound where they're thinking I shouldn't still be alive. I don't know how that car missed me. I don't know how I didn't get trampled by that horse or whatever else. And, and he says, what happens is that the original timeline, the car did hit you and the horse did trample you. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've had the ability to choose to come back without remembering that you left. So you sort of, you have something which allows your conscious mind to deal with it, which is the sort of the near miss as it were. Mm-hmm. But you don't necessarily have the memories of uh, of what happened in the original timeline. Things are just sort of overwritten, and then you carry on. Um, and that sort of um, feels like what I was shown. Um, right. which is that sort of that was the case for me. Um, and I had no conscious memory of it, but obviously there was a reason for me not having the memory, um, and the reason for me to regain or start to regain the memories when I did. I couldn't have I couldn't have lived the same life if I had the memory straight away. I couldn't yeah. have coped with it. Um, I certainly wouldn't have been able to cope with waking up thinking that the love of my life is there and I've got to wait 22 years for it. Um, that would have been, you know, and I, I wouldn't then have had any of the other experiences. I wouldn't have met my ex-wife. I wouldn't have uh, I wouldn't have had the experiences with her. We wouldn't have our daughter who's who's thriving. Um, you know, so all all of those positive things that came out of that relationship um, would never have happened. What you say in the book is exactly that, that, you know, you were given the amnesia so that you could live the human life with all the mistakes and all the trauma and all the beauty and all the bliss and all the experiences uh, so that you could have this life, this human life, and it wasn't 
written in that timeline that you would be awake during that time because it was like your soul wanted to experience being human. I remember my daughter as a little kid when I used to have conversations like that, she'd just look at me and say, I'm just a kid, mum. I'm just a kid. I don't want to know about this stuff. And she was giving me this message that I don't, be, I, want, I don't want to be awake. I want to be a kid and I want to do what kids do and I don't want to know who I really am. I just want to know that I'm a kid. And yeah. um, I really got that message from her then. And so it's interesting, you know, like it's that you talk about Neil Donald Walsh because when I hear him talk today, you know, he led a pretty um, tumultuous life. I still feel in him some sort of remorse or guilt for the life he led compared to the life he leads, you know, since he's had his experience, yeah. written his books. And there's still some sort of remorse that he was so selfish, I, was, I, I would say, mm. like he talks about himself like that. But with your story, it just demonstrates that we come to be selfish. We come to do mm. that. We come to experience come to the experience. contrast. We yeah. come to have the contrast and we're, you know, and people wake up in their own time when they've had enough of life. Mm. And it's, I just thought that was beautiful, that part. Yeah. Mm. And it's, it's also, um, I mean, even for um, years before I had any conscious memories, I, I was still being given people to, uh, to help to talk to. I was being talked through. I knew that I was being talked through. I just didn't know why. And I'd sort of, uh, I've been to church and, and, and that was like a, a mini awakening. And then I went back to sleep, but I was still sort of being given people in the position that I was in. I was, I was, am in a position of trust. I'm in a uniform um, and people will come up and they, they will just talk about um, anything. And then all of a sudden anything turns into something quite personal. It might be something that they've never shared with anyone else. And it's funny how they always sort of seem to gravitate towards towards me to do that um, and when I was in my 20s the thing that I noticed was that I might well only have been repeating what other people have told that person but it's only then that something clicks in them and it's all, almost like this repeating message suddenly it goes and then you wake up to it um, and it was always at those times where I felt like I was being spoken to there was always sort of authority and a power I'd, I'd get sort of like a warm feeling here and it would yeah. sort of and it still does it's, it sort of spouts out um, and then it made sense when I um, was given the memories of, of why, when, you know, the carpenter said, um, you will speak for me and I'll speak through you. Um, it's sort of like, that's why that happens. That's why I feel um, that, that sort of, uh, and it's not something that, um, not, not, not something that I can't control is, is sort of the, the wrong thing, but it, it's sort of almost purposeful when those people are put in front of me. And I know that that's why, um, and certainly in the job that I have now where I'm dealing with a lot of people who have uh, suicidal thoughts and mm. those people who I'm lucky enough to get to before they actually um, commit the act. Um, Jump in front of the train. Yeah, I very often find that um, because I've had so many of the, the contrasting experiences, I can bring those experiences in to speak to them. And had I not had those experiences, I wouldn't even be able to empathise with them. Um, exactly let alone anything else. So I'm, I'm so grateful for having had those experiences so that I can say, look, I know a little bit of how it feels to be like that. I know how it mm -hmm. feels to be depressed. I know how it feels to not want to be here or certainly not want to be you and struggle with it. I also know how it feels to want to be here. And I am, I am now your example of what it's like to move through those things. Yeah. And even if it just gives that person 
that moment or an extra day or whatever else. I don't know what happens to them after um, we get the help that they um, they require. That's then up to the, the National Health Service and whatever. Yeah. But all I know is that that time with them was gifted. It was gifted for them and it was gifted for me. Yeah. Um, and it sort of shows that that's why. Absolutely, absolutely. All the traumas that we live, uh, we could say that we live them so that we could help others, you know, overcome their traumas. Because people, as you know, when they're in trauma, they're not easy to speak to. If someone's dead set on jumping in front of a train. So last time you were on the show, you shared that you work in the, in the railways and you often talk people out of jumping in front of trains and sometimes clean up bodies that have been, you know, yeah. run over. Pretty horrific job pretty amazing job uh but yeah so when someone's dead set on jumping in front of a train how do you talk them out of it it's i just keep talking to them they know they're not going to go anywhere there's times when people are, are i've had times in hospital where i've had to fight with people for the whole time that i'm there and that can be hours i had one guy that um had we'd pulled basically pulled off the line and pretty much from the time that he got to hospital till the time that i was relieved um, I was fighting with him because he wanted to get out. And that was, that was his thing. He, he, he was sick of life. He'd get um, brief moments where he'd stop to rest and he would talk about uh, quite positive things that um, he'd done or he'd experienced or people he'd met, whatever else. And he was a fascinating guy. And then all of a sudden something would change again. It was almost like he was um, possessed. His eyes would change. Uh, he'd start sort of spitting and snarling and, and uh, his voice would change as well. It was It was that sort of it was that thing and sometimes i was holding him down thinking who am i holding down here i'm not holding down this i'm not holding down this guy that i was just speaking to um it was just a complete flip um and there and there are people that um are just as important as a uh, as a sort of a growth point for me mm. as those people that i can just sit there and talk quietly to um they know that they're not going to be able to go anywhere um i'm you know sort of i'm not small i'm 240 pounds which is about 17 stone um i've done martial arts all my life i'm you know i keep myself fit um so they know <laughs> they're not going to go anywhere if even if they try but i don't have to force them it's just a case of you know you're not going to go anywhere so you might as well talk to me and there have been times where people have gone from being one extreme to a complete other just because there's been something that I've, I've said or, or we've spoken about that's clicked. Yeah. And then, the, and then there's the way in. It's sort of like, it's almost like wearing down a rock over time. It will wear down into a pebble. And it's about getting to that sort of little pebble that's inside. Um, and again, every, everyone is, is different. Uh, everyone presents in a different way, but everyone is a gift to me. Uh, and I hope that in that moment that perhaps I and my colleagues are, are gifts to them. I, I tend to work with quite spiritually aware people, even if, even if they're not outwardly spiritual, I then sort of will have a conversation one day and it's sort of like, Hmm, I'm, I'm not, not with you by chance. Yeah. It's, it's not a mistake that I'm with, you know, my, my sergeant's very spiritual. Um, and I didn't know that until recently. Oh, really? You know, and it's sort of, it, it made sense with him, with the way he is, because he's very much the same with people. He'll, he'll sort of talk and joke with people. And then all of a sudden he'll find his way in. Yeah. So when we've ever worked together with, with someone who's in, in stress, then they basically haven't got a chance. They just open up. You know, it's almost like you've got two people here that, that care about you in this moment. So 
you know, you're not going anywhere until we've worn you down, and we sort of generally tend to do that. So, uh, you know, it's it's uh, yeah, it's it's awesome to see. That is awesome. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, have you shared your experiences with the your colleagues? But you've obviously shared it with your sergeant. I mean, do yeah. they know that you've written in a couple of books? That your story's out there in a couple of books? And yeah, he he does. I mean, because he's sort of the most open out of the people that I work with. Um, and then there's been a few other people who know bits because they've been interested and we've just happened to have a conversation. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll share bits and bobs. And um, for me, it's sometimes the sharing is important. Then other times it's just about the um, ability to use what I've come back with. Mm. Um, my, well, let's, my... get in, let's get into your um, conversation with the carpenter because this is what people, a lot of people that watch the show, you know, when I put up NDEs, everyone's looking for Jesus. <laughs> I get so many, I get so many people, uh, Christians predominantly, pretty much 100%, you know, saying if they didn't meet Jesus, then they're meeting the devil, it's, which is kind of interesting. But um, so here we have an NDE and you met the, carp, uh, the carpenter, as you call him. Yeah. What did he feel like? What did, how did he appear to you? And did you know who you were talking to at the time? Yeah, he was um, feeling-wise, uh, as it's described in the book, the, the, the two most profound things were um, him kneeling down to, to my height. I was, uh, I, I was the 13-year-old um, yeah. whilst I was up there, although I, was, uh, I wasn't sort of in my body. I sort of was still aware of myself uh, and his energy as a sort of um, a male in a, in a white cloak knelt down to my level, um, which was about as loving as you can as you can be when you come down to a child's level rather than talking above them when you come down to a child's level regardless of the age of the child the child goes they're talking to me they're not talking at me yeah and they then are understood and, and that was the feeling that i got was that he wanted to talk to me as a as a, a friend um he wasn't above me he wasn't on a pedestal um the, the reason why i introduced himself as as the carpenter i feel is that he didn't need to give me a title i didn't need to sort of for him to say i'm jesus or mm. or whatever else it was up for it was up for my interpretation and it was also up for anyone else who interpreted it that way so was, did, did the 13 year old you say who are you and he said i'm the carpenter is that how it happened he introduced himself as the carpenter i'm he the said, carpenter I know you as uh, as you know me, and I love you as I love everyone else. Um, and then the the the, the physical uh, sensation of him placing one hand over my heart and the other hand on my face, whilst I was um, having the hypnotherapy. Uh, although I was sort of aware of the my, the fact that I was on the on the hypnotherapy table, I was also aware of the sensation of having a hand on my chest and a hand on my face. I could physically feel the warmth of a hand on my face. Nice. It was. It was completely profound, um, you know, just to have that and, and to feel total love, like like the love that I would imagine if you could remember back to being newborn, that you would feel when you placed on your mother's chest yeah. or you held in your father's arms. There's that sort of, you know, I, I know from when my daughter was born, that's just, just holding there. Oh, you're going to have us all crying now. <laughs> Make my mascara rug, Ainsley. <laughs> and, and mine. <laughs> oh, yes, I can, I can feel it. Oh, if only we could all feel it more often. Just that 
total unconditional love. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's beautiful. And that was, and that, was re- that was regardless. It wasn't the case of well, you can only have this if you've been good, or um, this is this is what you can have if you go back and you live a you know live a pious life and never make any mistakes. And you know, it, it was completely um, different than what I'd. Uh, Believe, believed or been taught growing up in a um, sort of not so much a Christian school but when I was young uh, we had hymns every day we did prayers I went to Sunday school um, we were already aware of um, things like sin and, and um, you know but being proper um, being proper yeah being proper being, and don't sin yeah they love to teach us about that don't they uh, yeah, so already in my awareness and yeah and and that was not I'd been taught he loved me anyway. Mm. And it was he loved story. you enough to to send you back with total amnesia and um, so that you would fall over and stumble through life and make lots of mistakes and you know and lots of triumphs and just to have that human life. I mean, we complain so much about these you know tumultuous human lives, and yet the love that sends us here is you know it's like love that sends us here to have them. It's like Esther Hicks says from the teachings of Abraham, you're so free that mm. you're free to create heaven or hell while you're here. And, you know, you can't create that when you're over there. You, the freedom that mm. the love, the unconditional love and the freedom that you're given here. Yeah. And it's the expression of, uh, of that as much as we possibly can in this human form, um, especially when we've um, come into an understanding of the darkness that we, we all hold, this sort of dualistic um, nature that we have, when we can uh, express that in human form, even if it's just for a moment, then that is what it is to create heaven on earth. We all carry this. I, I advocate this firmly with um, wherever I go. I carry heaven inside. We all have the, the divine spark in here. And... I know that people struggle. I know that people who've had NDE struggle and I know that people who've had uh, spiritually transformative um, experiences also struggle and they want to be in the loving arms of what's on, uh, on the other side. And I understand that to a point, but we all chose to be here. I know, that's the, that's the irony of this. It's like we all want to be in the loving arms that's on the other side, but when we're in those loving arms on the other side, we all want to be here. Mm. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, and... And we choose um, for those people whose experiences um, they feel as though they were sent back. Mm. For, for me, and the impression I get and the feeling that I get is that uh, if if that's what they were shown there at that point, they also then weren't shown what they pre-chose. Yeah, because we all have a we all have the the chance to pre-choose the souls what we want to do in life, who we want to meet, how we want to be. Um, Absolutely. And, and we also pre-choose the experience and we also pre-choose to come back from it. I know. In, this, in the chapter that you wrote in uh, Awakened by Death, um, I'll just pop it up here so people can see it, um, you speak about uh, that predestined. You know, a lot of people say if we've got free will, are we, you know, is there stuff predestined or is it we have ultimate choice to, um, you know, how does all that work? And you kind of talk about it quite nicely in that we you know choose um points along the way but in Mm. between those two points we can you know the path isn't like that the path we can take any path (laughs) like we've got free will to like 
mess it up, choose hate over love, choose love over hate. Like we've got complete free, but, but at some point, you know, we have these predestined points sort of mapped yeah. out in our life. Do you want to just explain that a bit more? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I know that we'll perhaps get onto this later on in the conversation, but it's something that more recently has made a lot more sense to me. That's <laughs> yeah. From point A to point B with the experiences that uh, I've had um, over the last couple of months. Um, I, I realize more because I'm experiencing it that I can choose point A, which is uh, where I get told the news, which we'll discuss later. And then there's a point B, which is um, the next part of the journey. Now I can choose to go between those two points in fear. Um, those two points might well stay the same. Who am I between those two points? Absolutely. Um, am I am I accepting of it? Am I am I learning how to love myself? Am I am I seeing uh, the the journey, those steps, as a gift, or am I as as I seeing them as a some sort of terrifying nightmare? Um, and when I get to point B, how am I when I get there? Am I dishevelled? Have I had the worst journey? Um, have I been in the car stuck in traffic? Um, there's been an accident. Have I been diverted? Have I got lost? Or have I gone, do you know what? Um, I'm very loving and accepting of what this is here to show me. Exactly. And then you get there in a completely different way. And, and love um, love being the guide means that it, it doesn't stop things from happening. It doesn't stop uh, experiences from coming up. It doesn't stop things from tripping us over and was rolling around and hurting our knees what it does is it allows us to stand with a with the perspective of um, loving detachment regardless of what it is and I, you know I've, I've sort of been to the brink a few times in the last few months where I've had some terrible um, sort of uh, uh, sort of temporary news um, and at the face of it this is terrible this could be the the end of, of me um, there could be a, in a few months' time that could, that could be it. There could be people crying at my graveside. Um, that sort of terrifying. Um, but love, always being the guide, always has always blessed me with the people that love me. Um, mm -hmm. And what they're willing to do for me is what I'm willing to do for myself. And the more that I'm willing to do for myself, what, the more I'm willing to love myself. The more I get to experience. The more I get to perceive. Um, in those loving reflections in other people. Krista, um, over the last couple of months, has completely um, just blown me out of the water with the amount of love that she is prepared to um, show. You know, when I, when I was diagnosed, when I was ill. Um, well, let's tell it, people what's happening with you so that, um, you know, it, it, it makes... They're not going, what does he mean? <laughs> yeah, so? what are you talking about, Ainsley? Okay. It's perfectly fine to me. So, okay, so, so some of these points that we predestine are often health points. Um, I'm going through something personal too. My brother just went through a triple bypass last night. And, um, and that's one of the predestined points along the way. And as you say, like, you have these points. One might be marriage and the birth of children and... But, you know, points that are challenging and points that are beautiful too, these predestined mm -hmm. points. And, um, and you're experiencing one of those points now, which is a health mm -hmm. problem. Do you want to share with people what's been happening? Yeah, I was uh, diagnosed with testicular cancer um, back in May. Um, that after I had an operation which was, which was successful, which they call an orchidectomy, which means that uh, they make an incision uh, above 
the, the groin. So basically what they hope to do is to pull everything out from the top. So all the, all the cord, um, the testicle itself and anything else that shouldn't be there, they take out. Um, the, the process after that is blood tests, um, a CT scan, and they also biopsy uh, what they've taken out. Um, the options being that what they've taken out could be benign. Um, it is a type of testicular cancer, or sometimes it can be something else. Yeah. And where um, I'd been led to believe that it was testicular cancer, I had uh, an appointment sort of halfway through trying to get better where the consultant for urology or one of the consultants for urology uh, couldn't look me in the face um, to tell me that they uh, believed it was lymphoma instead, um, which is a completely different cat of fish because it's in the lymphatic system, which is in the blood. So it isn't localized to the, the testicle um, because, the t uh, because the testicles are an extremity of the body. Um, it means that the, the cancers that can form there are so my where so, is the gone so when you say it's, he couldn't look you in the face to tell you it's lymphoma is it lymphoma or is it testicular cancer it is actually testicular cancer um but at the time uh, when they'd done lymphoma. yeah they, they'd done the biopsies at that time right, right. where they sent it to they were um looking for uh, signs of uh, testicular cancer in the slides that they have and a couple of the slides showed something different yeah. Um, and with the CT scan, there was a couple of uh, lymph nodes which were enlarged. And because of those things, that's what they were worried about. But when I went to, it was actually a, a lady consultant and she, she couldn't look at me because she's a urology consultant. That's her world. That's what she knew. She was, she was the one that pulled the short straw to tell me that they believed that it was lymphoma, which is yeah. a different type of cancer and not one that they have answers for. So um, not only was I given this news, which I was quite confused about, I had someone that had um, no ability to, to explain what that meant. It was like, this is what we've been told. I'm telling you this. and I can't tell you anything else because I'm a urologist. I'm not a hematologist. You need to have another appointment. Yeah, the um, medical profession, I'm not a fan. But, you know, let's talk about it from a conscious perspective. Um, obviously, when you're having these sorts of conversations, you can face crazy people in the medical profession slightly differently instead of sort of getting so caught up with all the, you know, like what the name of the disease is and where it is and all that sort of thing. You can sort of bring it back to what's the lesson here and what do I need to let go of? And this is something that you've been doing. Yeah. How did mm. you, how did you meet the news, you know, from your conscious perspective? Yeah, well, I mean, I'd already um, been sort of doing that lovingly with the, the, the finding out about the testicular cancer and talking to Krista about it. And, um, you know, we both knew that uh, this was um, an external um, sort of almost like an external reference point to something that I wasn't letting go of and something that I now had the chance to get get rid of, um, let go of, give to the light as, as physically I would be giving something up. It was my chance to let go of the uh, the energy that was causing that um you know it's, it's it was almost like this is this is your first chance to start letting go of this stuff because this needs to go before you do everything else now if you don't let it go then like with everything else if you if you uh, try and retain and hold down and and be, be scared of the energy then something else is going to happen and something else is going to happen and it's not 
it's not anything bad for not being punished. It's just that this is the way that uh, holding on to uh, negative energy uh, manifests itself. It has a it has to have a physical outpouring for us sometimes to um, say, "Oh, hang on a minute, what, there's not. It's not just that that's wrong. There's something that this is showing me. This is a gift, and that's how I always saw it." Um, obviously, Krista. Um, at the time when we had the original diagnosis, as soon as she found out that um, I had a, a date for my operation, she basically dropped everything here. And, and as people are aware, you know, I live in the UK and she lives in Florida. So, you know, she dropped everything and was willing to come four and a half thousand miles to be with me for my op. Now, when most people turn around and say, I'd do anything for that person, I really love that person, they very rarely get a chance to prove it, but Krista did um, <laughs> in a big way. You know, I know. The love story between you two is so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> um, people can read about that in the book because uh, you yeah. actually go into it in the book. Um, it's so gorgeous. Mm. And um, so what did you find that you needed to let go of? What was the thought forms that you think that were creating the disease in your body, the dis-ease? It was conscious and unconscious um, patterns of um, having not wanted to be here, having not wanted to be me, being embarrassed about sort of being me, being, being sort of ashamed of who I'd been um, sort of as I was, as I was growing up and, and being so closed off. I'd gone through a process of letting that go, um, but I was still holding on to being ashamed of being me, being ashamed of being male. Um, I was sort of still quite shy um, with, with myself. There were still times where I couldn't look at myself properly. Um, you know, I was, it would almost like be like, I'd have to still build up the confidence to do that. And mm. it's now 38 to say that I still at times couldn't stand in the mirror and look at myself. Um, you know, they were things that I wouldn't admit that I was still having problems with. They were things that I was helping other people through, not, not things that I was, uh, gripping onto myself. Um, and this was a, this was a, um, was my opportunity, was my gift to really start to let that go because, um, there would be a physical change. I've got a sort of a lovely four and a half inch scar now. Um, I've got, um, you know, I've only got one testicle where, whereas I had two before. Um, and there's all sorts of other sort of physical changes. There's parts of my groin on the left side that I can't feel and may never um, be able to get the feeling back because of how, uh, because of the operation and whatever else. But I love myself more today than I've ever done um, previously. Um, Going back to the, uh, the, the the sort of the temporary um, diagnosis of the lymphoma, um, that again, uh, although that was sort of quite a dark um, little sort of period, I mean, it was a period of sort of that afternoon into that evening. Um, I'd not done myself any favours. I'd done some reading around the subject and found that for someone of my age to have a primary lymphoma in that area, that would be a grave prognosis and I'd unlikely be here. Um, at all and facing that it wasn't so much about me um, passing on it was about the, the effect that, that I would have on other people mm. and the fact that you know Krista and I had come so long come so far with our plans and what we wanted to do and it was all these things about sort of how on earth am I going to um, sort of share that how on earth am I going to sort of come this far with um, all of these lovely things that were starting to come into place and then all of a sudden have them. Um, and then again, um, you know, Krista sort of blew that out of the water. Um, 
by turning around and saying, it doesn't matter. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it, what it takes. If we have to bring you over to the States and you have to have treatment over here, then that's what we'll do. Um, if I have to leave work and come stay with you for a few months, then that's what we'll do. I'm with you all the way. <laughs> what, what can you say? I mean, that, that's, something that, that's something that I would do. I would do that for her in a heartbeat. But to, to, to have her do that for me, to experience that, um, even, even at that grave point, that just, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what the prognosis mm. was because I knew that whether we had uh, a month or whether we have the rest of our lives, um, we have we have that love that we were um, we've always wanted to share in this life in this way, um, and as it was, that then put love firmly back in my sights, and it was firmly my guide again. Mm. And uh, after the, the weekend, I had a phone call off um, someone who uh, worked for the hematology department as like specialist nurses uh, who promised to call me when. Um, they had a meeting about my uh, biopsy results because they had to be sent off to be done again um, by a hematology specialist. And I get the phone call in the middle of town. I'm with my mum. We're just about to go into a health food store to get me lots of lots of new supplements to try and help me um, cope with all this. And you know, I get told that actually, the uh, what they found um, is that it is a, a testicular cancer not mm. a lymphoma so it's not gone from lymphoma to going back to being uh, the, the what they call a seminoma well isn't and that interesting um so it's a better prognosis basically uh, oh by, and, by a million miles. And, and what's really interesting is that we talked about like splicing timelines uh your your realization of how loved you are in this physical life not just from your spiritual life but in this physical life might have spliced that timeline and the diagnosis changed. And they might say, oh, we made a mistake. Or, But isn't that interesting that, was, that you can shift yeah. reality by shifting your frequency? Or, I just, listening to your story, Ainsley, you know, experiencing love in heaven, where we come from, from that realm of pure positive energy, is all well and good. But when that's all you know, mm. you can't really know it as fully as coming into a physical body, experiencing hate and trauma and depression and, and, and um, abandonment and, you know, all the things that we, and then re-experiencing that physical love of like getting sick and then somebody traveling to the other side of the world saying, doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter about anything I'm here for. You know, that, that's why we come, right? Like that's mm. what we come to experience it's, you can't do that yeah. when you're dead sort of thing it's like well no and it's, it's far too easy to uh, well i mean it, it's not just far too easy we are the love that we that we seek here um, yeah. so we can't not be not can't not be what we are when we come here we get to sort of experience that and the the sort of the opposite to that we get to experience being the the dark of the uh, the dark behind the star as well oh, as yeah. being the star itself um, but, but and, we wouldn't experience it so profoundly had not had we not had the dark like mm. it's like only knowing hot 
you don't mm. know what hot feels like unless you've been freezing cold and then you come back to the heat now you go okay now oh, i really that's... know what hot feels like it's because you know that contrast is why we come which is something that people forget when they're going through their contrast they forget mm. you know like as I say, I've got family traumas happening now and I see it all as beautiful and people sort of think mm. I'm crazy, but I know that there's beauty in the contrast. Like, mm. like, oh, you know, my, my brother, as I say, he's a bit of a cynical old bastard. You know, he's saying, I'm a bit of a cynical old bastard. It's the first time he's ever said that, but it took a heart attack for him. Huh? Really? I had noticed. <laughs> I thought it was sort of for him to actually see it and to yeah. stop being it, you know, like it, there's so much beauty in the contrast. There's just so much beauty in the contrast. And interestingly enough, when you meet the contrast with that gratitude, mm. it just all melts away. All the pain and all the sickness and all the trauma just melts away. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's the... It's the fact that from an egotistic point of view, we want guarantees. We want guarantees that we're going to be okay. Again, um, like I've said before, we uh, like to talk about things that have happened to us and, and how we've uh, done that journey because it's something that's already happened and it's in the benefit of hindsight. So we're in, a, we're in a place sharing it when we're actually okay. I've been through this. This is what, this is what I've learned and I'm sharing it with you from a completely different perspective on, on this stage or, or whatever else. For me... I'm going through it and mm. still being um, as if as if it's hindsight. I'm sort mm. of living it because I know that there isn't a guarantee. I'm not guaranteed the next day, but what I have got is infinite possibilities. Absolutely. Um, where where I've had that perspective, then I've been gifted after gifted after gifted. Um, during the time that uh, they thought it was lymphoma, um, the, the one thing that I I wanted to do was to come to the states to have some time to convalesce with krista um krista's daughter um, was turning 18 and i had this present i wanted to give it and i wanted to give it to her myself that was all that was all sort of like shut down no you can't go anywhere because we don't know what's going to happen we don't know whether this is aggressive we don't know whether it's uh, whether it's not we don't know whether you're going to have to have treatment straight away so we're like you can't go anywhere um, and then all of a sudden i'm told that actually it goes back to the original diagnosis and actually we're happy for you to fly out and literally the next day after that i was here um yeah. and it, I, I was here not only was i here sort of um as i planned i was actually here for a week or so before i planned and i've been here for two weeks after i planned my my uh, annual leave before i was ill showed um being here from the 14th of july till the 24th of july i arrived here on the 11th and i don't leave until tomorrow yeah so this was one of the gifts was having this length of time oh, and I was always meant to have this length of time. There's many more gifts for you. I want to talk about, I want to talk about your future because, okay, so here's the story, you know, died at 13, didn't remember for 21 years, had hypnosis, found a group of people that had NDEs, saw this person that you had memory of from your NDE, fell in love, but living on two opposite sides of the planet. So the and now married recently. Mm. What was it? The end of last year or the beginning of this year? It was February. February this year. February, right? And mm. now married. Yay! Beautiful. <laughs> um, but what will you do when you move to the states? Will you still be a police officer, or have you planned to be out there on the stage? You know, bringing the word of the carpenter. I mean, what's the plan, Ainsley? 
Um, I, well, I can't, according to the, the statute, the, the law in Florida, I can't be a police officer until I'm a citizen. Yeah. And that takes three years with the, uh, the spousal visa process, which is that uh, yeah. I'm back at the moment. So once, once I'm granted that, I'm given a green card and I'm allowed to stay here as a permanent resident. But it takes three years from the point of entry um, before I can apply for citizenship. Once I've got that, then I would be able to reapply should I wish. Um, so what we're doing at the moment, Krista and I are both doing uh, a personal training qualification for, for fitness. Um, that's one string to um, many, many strings adding to the bow that we're, we're looking at um, doing. Uh, from, the, from that perspective, uh, we want to bring our holistic approach uh, WH whole um, holistic approach to people um, by uh, not just uh, helping them to train to keep physically fit, but also by using what we've learned to perhaps help them. Oh, uh, it's so needed. It's really so needed. When you go to health clubs, fitness clubs, gyms, whatever you want to call them, there's lots of um, you know advice on what to eat and how to exercise, and then maybe a yoga class or two, and some of them throw in a meditation but they leave the whole you know the mind body spirit thing they leave the whole spirit thing out of the equation i've been asking these centers for years i mean i'm in australia you know there was a center called mind body spirit and i said to them apart from giving us massages and um and meditation and exercise I said where's the spirit component of your mind body spirit mind center body spirit. and they said um, you get a massage and i'm like right what else <laughs> Like they don't what, what do you then define as spirit well it's yeah it's teaching people how to flow their energy how to raise their vibe how to you know overcome their stressful thoughts how to connect to their guidance how to feel that unconditional love of source i mean all that we talk about on this show you know i keep the mind body out of it and i'm just talking the spirit on the show <laughs> but uh but it's so needed inside exercise routines because that's the mainstream right i mean both you and chris are still very involved in the mainstream world with your jobs and you bring that spirit component to your jobs into it um, yeah and, and the idea is to uh, over time um that there's there's a number of different options krista um with being a physician's assistant out here um is coming to the point where she knows that uh, probably by the end of this year, um, she won't be working from the ER anymore. Um, there's, right. there's different options for her. One of them um, is a potential for opening um, uh, like a GP's practice um, right. out here. Now, the brilliant thing about that is the fact that she would, uh, she would be dealing with the Western medicine side of things because that's how she's qualified, but we would also be uh, looking towards doing the more sort of spiritual Eastern side of things. Uh, we know lots of people that um, have lots of different healing modalities and, yeah. and the different things in the pipeline that uh, we ourselves would like to advocate as well. We've, uh, whilst we've been here, um, we watched a, watched a documentary called uh, Forks Over Knives, which is about the benefits of becoming vegan. We've come vegan since and have to say the go. benefits uh, are huge. The, the, and not just the physical, not just the sort of the, the feeling better benefits, but also the benefits of being able to um, reverse certain types of diabetes, reverse heart disease, um, stop and or reverse cancer uh, because of going from uh, an omnivoric diet, which we're actually not, um, we're, we're still not sort of designed for. We're, we are actually designed for more of a sort of a herbivore plant-based diet. It's just that we've had this uh. thing for, we need to eat meat to get protein, we need to have dairy to have calcium. 
Yeah, um, Daniel, the, 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 the conversation around diet is one that I'm used to. You know, in my 20s, I studied as a naturopath and no one could agree what to put in our body. You know, as long as what we put in our body, we're in alignment that it is healthy. Because when you're eating with guilt, like, I shouldn't eat this chocolate or I shouldn't eat this biscuit or I shouldn't eat... If you're eating with guilt, you completely digest food differently than when you're eating with pleasure. Well, you're digesting the guilt. You digest the guilt, yeah. And um, I am an advocate for vegetarian and veganism, but not because of health, but because of sustainability. I just don't think that, um, you know, we can sustain... Seven billion people on the planet. We can't sustain our eating habits. We just—it's it, just killing Mother Gaia. It's just killing the planet, polluting the air. And um, you know, the cattle and dairy industry is one of the—it's—it's it's even bigger pollutant than cars. Interestingly mm. enough, uh, yeah. so so that's my—you know—sort of look at it. But I don't see any of it. Just like none of the contrast is wrong. I don't see any of it as right as wrong. It's no, just what exactly. You line it is up what it is. With. Yeah, it is what yeah. it is. You know, my brother who, as I said, is in hospital at the moment, I had this conversation with him a year ago about being a vegetarian or cutting down meat, not mm. necessarily taking out of your diet because of the sustainable, you know, like do you want to have a planet that your grandchildren can live on that's not completely... Mm. And he goes, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. So he was all up for the argument. Like he said, it's a really good argument. I really agree. And I said, so are you going to cut down the meat nope. in your diet? He said, nope. <laughs> you know what he will today <laughs> yeah he yeah. will today yeah, yeah. so um, it's, it's I, the it's the thing about leading a horse to water isn't it you can't lead a horse to water but the, when the horse is ready it'll it'll go itself and, and sometimes it's just a case of saying the water's over there yeah uh, and that's one of the things that um that, that is in alignment with krista and i is, is not about forcing things down people's necks it's about saying this is our experience. This is what we've yeah. gone through and this is what yeah. we've experienced. And these are the results. And from, yeah. from the perspective of doing something like changing diet and, uh, and whatever else, I mean, I, I've always kept myself very fit. Yeah. Um, if I mean, speak to Krista about sort of like some of the exercise that I do do, I, I, um, I sort of, I'm a bit of a gym monster. I, I like to work hard and I like to sweat and I like to, I really enjoy myself there, but probably <laughs> so, over the last sort of, Oh, sort of four years um, as I've as I've gotten sort of more towards forty, um, the thing that I haven't been able to do, although I've been able to make muscular gains, I haven't been able to stop putting the weight on in the danger areas, which is around which is around oh, the stomach. Interesting. Yeah, and, and that has something to do with, like you said before, about what we put in our systems and 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 how we feel about it, um, and uh, whether whether you're consciously eating or unconsciously eating and, yeah. and whatever else. But for me. Um, watching the the documentary and then feeling out uh, for myself especially having gone through a cancer scare it sort of made sense that well i'm being given this gift i'm going to just try it so we've we've been sort of on it for um, eight or nine days i've i've not had i think i've had two occasions where i've been hungry uh, the rest of the time i'm not hungry and again um, whilst I've been getting better, I've also been able to increase my work um, rate in the gym. Uh, we've had some really good workouts. I've not had any detriment from not having meat. We've just had benefits. Um, yeah. And if those benefits continue, you know, uh, losing the weight that I don't need and, uh, and whatever else and looking better and feeling better, then when I'm helping other people, I'm not then going to be the fat dietitian. I'm not going to be turning around saying, well, you need to eat this and you need to eat that and not do it myself. It's like, well, this this is this is me this is what i've been through this is what's helped me 
if you want then um, you know you can go ahead and do that for yourself and I'll help you if you don't want then that's absolutely fine yeah and and interestingly enough you know the health crisis that you experienced is just another feather in your hat actually to help uh, other people who are experiencing health crisis you know why would I listen to you mate you know you go to the gym you're a gym junkie and a vegetarian you're always healthy and you can say well actually no and they go okay okay now I'm listening so it just kind of makes your message even more powerful doesn't it yeah, well, it, it strikes at the heart of, I mean, um, again, with things like cancer, like with heart disease or whatever else, it's something that you either experience yourself or you know uh, other people in your family or your friend group that, yeah. that have gone through it or are going through it, and you see the impact. I mean, for me, um, a few years ago, I had a friend that um, had uh, testicular cancer but had ignored the symptoms because he was scared of it. His dad had had something similar and had died from it. Mm-hmm. And he, he was in a huge amount of fear um, and the cancer spread and it went in his liver and, and into his stomach and he had to have a, a huge, a couple of major operations to take out the, the, the spread. And he was ill for a long time. He's, he's okay now and 12 years later he's had kids and, and uh, whatever else. Um, but he put himself in a position where he, um, he sort of almost forced that to happen before he would um, do something about it. Um, you know, and having having witnessed that and knowing full well that there's lots of other people out there who have probably also had to see friends and family go through the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, when you talk about that, it's like a it's sort of almost like a stark reflection, isn't it? It's like, okay, so this person knows what they're talking about. It isn't yeah. a case of well, you've just read it in a book, you've actually been through it. Um, and I've only been through it in a um, in a relatively um, minor way. This is sort of like the shot across the bow, as it were. Um, for now, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen in ten years' time, but I know at the moment that the, that's done what it needed to do for me, which is which is further awaken me to to the extra possibilities that I possess that I, I perhaps have now made room for. Mm-hmm. Rather than, you know, and and helped you let go of all those um, conditioned limiting thought forms that you know we pick up from. Because as soon as you were talking about before we started recording, I just picked up your dad. You know, we, mm. we do tend to carry those belief structures from our um, from our parents. And interestingly enough, it's so hard to see them. Like we can see them in others. Like you're, you know, you're a bit stubborn, aren't you? It's like, like you know, pointed, like who's stubborn? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's Absolutely. the, but we, you know, and, and, and illness helps you really, it, it just exaggerates them and, and it helps you really see what you're carrying emotionally and you go, oh my God, I don't need to carry that anymore. Like, thanks mm. dad, but here you go, have it back. Um, or let it go, give it back to the carpenter. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. so before we go, any last messages from the carpenter? Because um, I can tell that he speaks through you. Yeah. And... Um, you know, do you feel like when you just click on and you're tapped into that Christ consciousness and it's funneling through you? Or can you do that deliberately? I think you can. Yeah, it's sort of, it's one of these where if I'm ever put in a position um, like this, there's, there's no scripts. I don't need any scripts. I don't need to rehearse something. I don't need to have um, looked into um, what it is that I, I intend to talk about. I have an idea which I'm given and then I'll stand on stage and I'll talk about the idea. Um, I actually find planning gets in the way. So um, I'm, I'm far better, especially when I'm talking, either talking to a person um, or talking to a group of people, just talking and uh, knowing that 
when I open my mouth, something will come out that makes sense to even if it's just to one person. I don't need to have spoken to that person afterwards to find out whether it has made a message. It has made an impact. I just know that it does. Um, and I suppose that's the the message, um, which is the, the the gift of just knowing that things are going to work out, just knowing that things are okay. Ultimately, everything is okay, regardless of what we um, egotistically fear here. Everything is okay. Even if it is just that we have to wait till we pass on to get to the other side to realize that. What a waste to, to get the life review and look back and say, well, actually, it wasn't so bad. I was in this narrow um, sort of visionless tunnel where all I could see was my problem. Mm. And I hadn't realized all the people that were around me. Mm. Um, there's a, 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 have you ever heard of a guy called Joseph Campbell? who mm -hmm. um, sort of Follow your bliss. Follow your bliss. Um, one of the things on the, the series that he did with Bill Moyers, um, he was dealing with a, a woman that um, always felt that she was alone. She was always alone. And through the time he was uh, sort of helping her, uh, she would use art to describe how she was feeling. And, and one of the pictures she drew was a picture of gold underneath rocks. So she knew the gold was there, but she couldn't get to it. She had a realization that the gold was her friends her family and the people that loved her. The next picture that she drew was her being able to access the gold, being able to access what she had already around her. We, we very often go, uh, go along life and say what we haven't got. What we don't do is realize what we have. And very often what we have is the, is the gift. It's the, thing that we, um, it's the thing that we missed, is the thing that we've already got. We've already got all the answers to every question that we can ever have yeah. if we have a perspective to see it. Um, and it doesn't have to happen all at once. It can be uh, sort of like gradually over time, we can be strip fed uh, until the point where something just goes. And then it's sort of like, yeah, okay. Um, I'm not quite as badly off as I thought. Uh, I'm actually sort of, I, I have actually got some really good friends and, and my family are really supportive. Exactly. And then to step on to realize that those people are just reflections of us. So when we start to see the positive, when we start to see the loving, we're actually recognizing the loving within us. Yes, and, we recognize, and, and we can't not recognize it because it's coming from us to, for us to be able to recognize it in other people. You know, the new song that I've put on the end of the show, um, which is by, uh, I put it up. He says, there's a line in the song that says, what I want, I'm looking through. I just love that. You know, what I'm mm. seeking, I'm looking through. It's such a beautiful, it's like we think that we're looking for something outside, but when you see it inside yourself, you actually get to see that everything you're looking for somewhere else is actually already there, as you say, mm. in, your, in the friends and family and support and all those sorts of things. I remember I had a shop years ago and in the middle of the night it burnt down and I had that realisation. I felt so unsupported and I had my brother and mm. sister-in-law and then a friend of hers at four o'clock in the morning helping me clean up the mess. I mean, who does that? And I thought... Yeah. It was like a real sledgehammer moment. You are supported. It's like, look, you know, these mm. people are up at four o'clock in the morning helping you clean up the mess in your shop. Mm. And I'm like, wow, yeah, what you want, you're looking through. It's beautiful. Mm. Ainsley, it's been such a joy to talk to you today. It's been beautiful. Yes, thank you. And I look forward to hearing about what you and Krista get up to in the future and a bright future in front of both of you. So Absolutely. lots Absolutely. of um, lots of more love to spread and share so thank you thank you thank you thank you for being on the show <laughs>
Bye. Wow, there we go. The beautiful Ainsley thread gold there. Isn't he gorgeous? Lovely message to uh, bring to you today about contrast. I thought that was so important that everything that we live, we are um, pretty much choosing. We're either choosing it from this perspective or we choose it from that perspective. You know, uh, we definitely plan some things in our life and sometimes these big health crises like he's going through and my family's going through, that might be all part of the plan. Bit of a wake-up call, I feel, for all of us. And uh, remember to go out and buy the book. His story and Krista's story are in the book uh, about their NDEs. We've had them both on the show before, but we didn't talk too much about their story. We talked mostly about the message from their NDEs. But I was just asking Ainsley then, I said, have you read the book? And he goes, no, I haven't read it yet. I said, it's a really good book because it's not just all NDEs. It's people's experiences of death in all myriads of forms of, um, you know, there's just, it's a, there's a variety of messages and a variety of stories. It's actually a really fascinating, really good book, but it's pretty traumatic. Lots of trauma in the book, but lots of love and blessings and miracles as well. So let's hope you have a miracle in your life today. A miracle, as uh, I think Marianne Williamson says, is a shift in perspective from fear to love. And that's all we're talking about with all of these, all of these shows is shifting your perspective. It's not where we're going. It's what we're, where we are in here. It's just a shift in perspective. And seeing your life through rose-coloured glasses, seeing what you have in your life as divine, beautiful, perfect, just as it's supposed to be, even if you're experiencing trauma at the moment. It's just as it's supposed to be. Appreciating the now. As Byron Katie says, when you resist the now, you lose, but only 100% of the now. So only 100% of the time, she says. So love the now and... Uh, let me know how you go. Put a message underneath and tell me how you're loving your now, right now. Thanks for joining me for another show. Love you all. Blessings.